ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party Christmas Special, which features the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, and the Labour MP for Tooting, Rosanna Allen Khan, who at the time of recording is weighing up whether to stand for the Labour deputy leadership or not. So by the time you listen to this, that decision may well have been taken. It was a brilliant night at the Bloomsbury Theatre. And the Christmas shows always have, obviously, a slightly more raucous element to them. uh, And that's become the tradition of them. Obviously, talking to two Labour MPs after that election result means that at times um, there is introspection and reflection. But I try not to, you know, you don't want to be too depressing about um, what's happened for Labour people. Um, but th- it's just such a good laugh. And th- this goes off in tangents I would never have guessed. Um, uh, which I don't want to. I don't want to spoil here. So it's a really good mix of of light and shade. It was a fantastic night. Two of the best guests I've ever had on. So to have them on in the both on the same night was just superb. Um, so I shall leave you um, in the hands of Sadiq Khan and then Rosetta Allen Khan. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you very much for coming. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to what could potentially be a two-hour wake. Um, <laughs> joined by uh, Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London, and Rosanna Allen Khan, uh, the Labour MP for Tooting, who may or may not be standing for the deputy leadership. We shall find out uh, uh, over the course of the evening. Uh, but, ladies and gentlemen, before we start, let me just ask, uh, give me a cheer if you've been here before. Yay! I should have said to a political party, not the Bloomsbury Theatre. And give me a cheer if this is your first political party. Well, welcome newcomers. And I tell you, I know it's always difficult when people ask you how you vote, but do cheer as loud as you possibly can, um, which may be difficult depending on how you voted. Um, so I'll start off with an easy one first. Give me a cheer if you voted Green. Yay! Excellent. Uh, give me a cheer if you voted Conservative. Woo! One really fucking happy bloke. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Labour. Yay! And Lib Dem. Oh, wow. Well, um, I'm not sure this is a balanced sample of, of the UK population. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, first of all, give it up for the wonderful MP4. And they are individually the Labour MP for Cardiff West, Kevin Brennan. The former Labour MP for Brigham Gould, Ian Causey. Conservative MP for East Yorkshire, Greg Knight. And the SNP member for Perth and North Perthshire, Pete Wishart. Moving swiftly on, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tonight's first guest uh, is someone I've wanted to interview for a very long time. And that is the truth. He is, at the moment, uh, the most powerful Labour politician in the country. Uh, regularly. Well, he uh, probably will be for a very long time. Um, 
so enjoy it. Um, he's regularly listed in the Time 100 Most Influential People uh, on the Planet. He was uh, a whip under the previous Labour government. He is now Mayor of London, set, it looks like, to be re-elected next year. Ladies and gentlemen of London, please welcome your Mayor, Sadiq Khan! <laughs> Let's have the uh, Khan family here, thank you. Hi, Mum. <laughs> uh, and that Tory was my father-in-law. It's quite down there. Um, when you hear things can only get better, what, what, what does it make you feel? Well, I'm smiling, aren't I? <laughs> it's, um, those were the days. When our lad... Oh, yeah, go on. Uh, actually, I was a bit, ner I was a bit nervous uh, coming on because the last uh, guest Matt had doing a life podcast was Joe Swinson. <laughs> and uh, we know how that movie ended. <laughs> and so I'm here with a bit of trepidation how things might end. We are, and these are kind of Lib Dem coloured <laughs> seats. When she was clearing her office out, I was the first one there. <laughs> like a yard sale down at Port Colours <laughs> These and a couple of skills wallets, whatever the fuck they are. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I say that about from. But anyway, we um, <laughs> did. That is not making the edit of the podcast, so ensure that ensure that exclusive. Uh, Sadiq, one thing you have in common with all of our uh, band members tonight it isn't just your good looks. It's you all served as whips. Now, whips are seen as the the hard men and women of politics. What sort of whip were you? And did you serve with Ian and Kev? I, yeah, I must. Were we, were we winning though? Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way the way the way uh, whips are, are like sort of charm offensive. I was the charm, and Kevin was the offensive. <laughs> but, so when I when I, I was a whip uh, when Gordon Brown was the prime minister, and I kid you not, I was the whip for I was the whip for a number of MPs: uh, Diane Abbott, Kate Howie. John McDonnell, <laughs> and I was the whip for Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and so, you know, I, so, um, I bet none of you have had a flock like that. I mean. well, at one time I had uh, the London uh, crowd as well, in, and, uh, and, and, and whenever I went to the chief whip, I bragged. I said, I've got a little bit of <laughs> <laughs> I used to have the Yorkshire region, and you know what they say, you can always tell the Yorkshireman, but you can't tell the Yorkshireman anything. Oh. <laughs> Jeremy and, and John with our group. Uh, yes, that's the SNP, yeah. I have ten heats and we the current. <laughs> that's just a rumour. <laughs> oh, amazing. Greg, uh, Greg, by, by the way. <laughs> As Greg was speaking, the audience were Googling who is Ted Heath and who is Edwina Curry. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, they'll be back later in the show, but give it up for now for the wonderful MP4. Not a bad house band, are they? Oh, the best. The best house band in the world. Um, it's Christmas. Let's pull a cracker. Yeah, let's do it. There you go. Oh, bad techers. 
I lost that one as well. Well, I'll wear the blue one. Let's do another one so that you win. That's just... <laughs> I went easy on you, sir. Um, so, uh, my joke is, why is everyone so thirsty at the North Pole? No well, no well. <laughs> I went better than most of my jokes tonight. Okay. Who delivers Christmas presents to dogs? Santa Paws. That's as old as uh, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Greg. Uh, we should start, actually, um, <coughs> Sadiq, by, by drinking a toast to the uh, defeat of Zach Goldsmith. <laughs> and just to, just to prove what a uh, meritocracy it is, he's now a minister in the House of Lords. <laughs> That's uh, social mobility under Boris Johnson. Um, but were you pleased to see Zach lose his seat? I mean, look, in, in politics, there's business and there's pleasure. <laughs> uh, sometimes they coincide. <laughs> he? Oh, has he ever spoken to you since that campaign you ran against? You know, on, on a serious note, I mean, look, I mean, put aside the campaign for a second, but I, I've always believed whether I used to be a lawyer and I play sports, whether you are a lawyer, whether you play sports, whether you're in politics, you shake hands before... You shake hands afterwards. You're magnanimous in victory and dignified in defeat. And, uh, and you know, whether it's doing a case, you know, playing a game of football, cricket or uh, politics. And what did surprise me was after the, um, when the results were announced backstage uh, and on stage and afterwards, he never shook hands. I don't, I don't ask for an apology or, um, you know, but, but he, and that surprised me because it shows a lack of class. And for somebody who's uh, a billionaire, uh, you, you know, <laughs> The one thing I'd have hoped for is class. And I think... Uh, <laughs> and it's disappointing because what people don't realise is during the campaign, when I was first selected the Labour candidate, I genuinely had not just working-class kids, I had uh, kids of Asian ethnic origin, kids who have Muslim faith, not only inspired by the campaign, but their parents saying, you know what, my kid's into politics because of you. And as the campaign reached the end and the Islamophobia, the racism was at its height, I'd... Parents saying, you know what, I thought about encouraging my son or daughter or nephew or niece to get involved in politics, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure now, because if someone like you, who sticks your head above the parapet, gets this sort of you know, crap, then I'm not sure I'd encourage them to do so. And, I, and that's why it's important for us to win, right? Um, and and uh, we did okay. Um, but I just think you should shake hands after us. And you've been involved in debates, whether it's, in, you know, whether it's doing Newsnight, whether it's doing whatever programme it is. In the green room, you're mates, yes. you're right? Then you have the argument on the stage, or the, you argue the case in court, or you play the game on the pitch, and then you shake hands at the end. And, I, and that was disappointed, actually. And I think that doesn't, you know, bode well for politics in our country, I think. Because, you, I mean, we both worked on campaigns. By-elections are ferocious, and every party will cross the line, in my experience, <coughs> even in my brief career in politics. Um, um, but that seemed to really cross the line in a way that I'd never seen before, certainly in a mainstream election, to, to run one of the biggest and most important cities in the world. We're sending letters out saying that people's jewellery wasn't safe if you got elected. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of horrible stuff. I'll tell you this, though. You know what? I have lost my watch, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the thing is this, though, but, you know, so, yeah, according to independent experts, a really racist campaign an Islamophobic campaign, what was London's response? 
London's response was to vote for uh, uh, not just a, an ethnic minority, uh, not just a religious minority, but somebody of Pakistani origin and Islamic faith at a time when there is huge demonization around the world. And that shows why we are the greatest city in the world, by the way. We also voted for someone who nationwide is a political minority, and that was, uh, that was, uh, <laughs> was kind of, was a, London again setting the trends that the rest of the actually, country didn't follow. But um, part of your job, obviously, is, is, you know, is being the London Mayor, being the political head uh, of the city. You're also in charge of the police, which must be one of the coolest things you can do as a politician. It's great, honestly, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, no, but it's, I mean, it comes with responsibility. I mean, what people don't see is, I mean, uh, it's a full-time job. It's, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, Boris Johnson did this just three days a week. Um, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I'm still cleaning up the mess three and a half years later. I thought a three-day week was but in the Labour manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, I mean, it is, I mean, what, 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 I mean, we are a global city. We are arguably the only global city in Europe. Uh, and so, uh, I'll tell you this, we, I, I didn't fully appreciate this until I became the mayor. We genuinely have the greatest police service in the world. These guys are amazing. Men and women who look after us on a daily basis, run towards danger when the rest of us are encouraged to run away. But it, it's pretty cool. Uh, the first time I got the text from the commissioner, bloody, what have I done? Uh, uh, she's realised I've stolen Matt Ford's watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but you know, but it comes. You know, it's, you know that's that's all the cool stuff. Of course, it is. But it comes with responsibility because one of the jobs that commissioner and I have is to make sure you're as safe as we can be. And we know one of the consequences of uh, you know cuts has been an increase in violent crime. We face a threat with terrorists who hate uh, our way of life. That we don't just tolerate difference. We respect it. We celebrate it. We embrace it. Uh, our pluralism. And so it, it's a full-time job, and I, I take it very seriously. In terms of, I mean, there have only been two other mayors of London. Uh, Ken Livingston and Boris Johnson. So the career trajectory is either. <laughs> either, a, either a mad racist or, or Boris Johnson. Um, and that, that joke works either way round. But, but, but Matt, Matt, as you know, there is a third way. <laughs> there is indeed. And, and, and for you, what, what does that mean? I mean, do you. You're the most powerful Labour politician in the country by a mile. Do you, do you look at the, the way the Labour Party's going now and think, well, at some point I need to get in there and lead it? Well, I think, I think, I think we'll have that conversation at, after, term, after about seven terms. Right? Well, no, let's, 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 let's finish term one. But on, on a serious level, I think one of the things that I realised uh, is actually, uh, and we know this because of our, our past, but actually you can only transform people's lives for the better if you're a politician by winning elections. You know, I don't believe in heroic failure. And it was, um, you know, it was actually a former Labour Prime Minister who said, you know, one day in power is worth more than 5,000 in opposition. Uh, and I believe in winning. And so, look, you know, it's really important not to take the election on May the 7th for granted. Uh, you know, we're going to campaign to win. Um, and we intend to win big. Because if we win big, that gives us a mandate to do great things in London. And, and the task I've got, Matt, is, is actually to show the rest of the country as well as Londoners, that it's possible to be a Labour politician who not just wins, but once uh, he's won, can combine both uh, being pro-business but pro-social justice, can combine being somebody who believes in law and order, but believes in being a helping hand for those who are deprived and those who are poor, and actually believes in uh, having an administration uh, where we look after everybody. That means being a mayor for all Londoners. 
I think, well, I, think a lot, I mean, to sum it up in a sort of quicker way is uh, social justice, but tactical contact on moped gangs. <laughs> Get those... I love watching the Met. Do you watch it? You must be so proud watching it. You're like, get them, Matt. <laughs> I don't know if that is how you feel when you watch the Met. But it is, you know, I've seen moped gangs in London. In the 10 years that I've lived here, it wasn't a problem when I first came here in 2009. It's like a new phenomenon. And obviously, as a member of the public, think, well, what is happening? And then those programmes are brilliant for letting the public know. Well, let me say, look, the, the, the commissioner may be listening, so, but I just put on the record uh, that, you know, two years ago, we reduced by half the amount of moped crime and moped-enabled crime, and, and last year we reduced it by a further 50%, so we're making good, good progress. But the thing about crime is bad people find new ways and they evolve to be criminals, and the job of the police is to find new ways to keep us uh, safe, whether it's moped crimes, you know, uh, asset attacks, or you know, people being lone terrorists and stuff. And so there is a serious part of, of the police's job, which is to evolve and adapt and make sure they do what they can to make you feel safe, but also you be safe as well. What about your own personal safety? I mean, any politician in Britain in 2019 carries a certain level of personal risk. You're in a particular office that brings that risk. Perhaps, because of your background, an increased risk from the far right and people like that. I mean, do you, does that pressure weigh on you at night? Well, I, I, I told her about talking about my security, but the, two, the, the things I will say, which are on public record, is I'm the first mayor to have police protection. Uh, uh, you know, it's, and it is a fact also that the terrorists responsible for the Finsbury Park uh, death uh, had mentioned me in his note, and uh, the terrorist in Christchurch, New Zealand, mentioned me in his rant as well. So, of course, the police take that very seriously because the police want to make sure all their citizens, all of you, including me, are as safe as they can be. So they take very seriously their job to make sure uh, that I'm safe. And, not, and the key thing for me is, is to make sure that, you know, within the bounds of you know, reasonableness, I can continue to do what I always do, which is, you know, use the tube, use the bus, walk in the streets, do the things that I like to do and stuff, because what you don't want to do is allow that to change your way of life. And, and I, I read a great story, in, in, again, it's in the public domain, it's not, I'm not giving away any secrets. It but is, feel free to. It's, one it's of, a private one, meeting. One of, one of the things... <laughs> one of the things when you've got uh, uh, police protection is literally they need to know where you are at all times, and they're with you at most times. And there's a great story about when Boris Johnson was Foreign Secretary. Apparently, uh, he, uh, he sneaked out without his protection team knowing. Uh, and uh, without wishing to... <laughs> we can guess why. <coughs> I've never snuck out, by the way. Uh, <coughs> Part of the, you know, in terms of the narrative of a lot of this stuff uh, comes from the far right in terms of the threats to you. There's a, a new populism, even in the time that you've been mayor of London, and uh, a figure in Donald Trump in America who's prepared to whip up a certain amount of animosity towards well, you. Firstly, just for the sake of accuracy, I think the, 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 the animus and hatred towards me and someone like me doesn't just come from the, the extreme far right, but also from so-called Islamist terrorists. I mean, I'm not their favourite poster boy either. <laughs> Um, because what, what, and what, what both these groups have in common is a view of the world where they think it's not possible to be a Westerner, uh, somebody who believes in Western values, and to be a practicing proud Muslim. Uh, and what neither of them can get their ha head around is the millions of Londoners, Brits, who are proud British people, proud Londoners, but also proudly Muslim. 
Uh, and that messes with the head of the sort of Islamist extremists, but also the extreme far right. And, uh, you know, we have seen across the world a rise of, you know, populist, nativist movements, whether it's in the USA, Hungary, Italy, France, our own country, uh, Poland. And the poster boy for all these, uh, uh, you know, populist, nativist movements is Donald Trump. And we need to realise this. And that's why, you know, it's not about him tweeting beastly things about me uh, or, or whatever. Uh, it's, it's more about he's normalising um, stuff that we thought was in the periphery. And he's given confidence and sucker to people who wouldn't otherwise have that confidence uh, and wouldn't be mainstream. And that's why it's really important he's called out. And by the way, <clears throat> he's the antithesis of the values we hold there in London. And that's why it's really important. It's not about you know, being offended by a tweet. It's actually, you know, and by the way, he, he leads a country with whom we have a special relationship. And one of the things about when you have a special relationship is like having a best mate. And when you've got a best mate, what you do is, of course, at times of adversity, you're, you're with them. But your standards of your best mate are higher than your standards of acquaintances, or just okay mates. And that's why I think if we can't call out Trump, who can? But also, if the leader of the free world's values are the opposite of ours, we should call him out. So when he, when he tweets about you or to you, do you first find out when you're just on your phone in an idle second and go, oh, God, I think... That's the real Donald Trump. Or does someone come in and say, Mr. Mayor, I think the president is tweeting about you? There's been a couple that have been really odd. I mean, he's a bit weird. I mean, but there's been a couple where. I mean, so listen, listen, look, I'm the mayor of the greatest city in the world, and, and I kid you not, I'm really busy. I mean, I'm really. Honestly, sometimes I don't check my phone for hours. It's a real. You know, it's, and this guy's on his phone nearly all the time. <laughs> it's just a bit odd. But, but I, I, I normally discover he's tweeted when uh, I get an opinion poll saying oh, my popularity's gone up by 10%. That's what, <laughs> that's, that's, that's Trump tweeted or something. But it, he's a bit odd. I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, you know, so you can imagine, I mean, you've, you've, you've been an advisor of, uh, for a politician, and, I, and I've got advisors. And, but if, you, if you're an advisor to Trump, you must think, oh, we've done a really good day's work today. Time to go to bed. And then you wake up and bloody hell, what's, what's he done? And so, yeah, but it's, you know, it's, he's not a normal politician, is he? Just think carefully about how you engage with him, though, even though you are in London and he's in America. Do you think part of your response is, is the, maybe the fact that some people here might be sympathetic to him and you have to calculate that a bit? Or is he someone that you can have a free hit on? Well, it depends. It's not, I don't think you should use uh, City Hall to give a running commentary on what's going on around the world. I, I spend all my time doing that. So it's a question of when something is done that is so, is an issue for Londoners. I mean, so, you know, there's, I mean, uh, for somebody listening to this podcast, you, you will now know that Donald Trump's been impeached. But, but, but for those in the audience now, there, there are currently hearings taking place uh, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, uh, <laughs> and so w what I won't do uh, in four and a half hours' time is tweet hashtag hallelujah, right? <laughs> or even worse, hashtag stone cold loser. Yeah. Um, that, that's not cool. Alarak bar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, but yeah, but so, you, you know, you, it's, it's, you know so, so it is a problem for me uh, that, you know, uh, our government gave this man a state visit. It is a problem because this is a guy who, 
uh, is withholding funds from some states that uh, uh, you know, have clinics that allow uh, women to choose what they do with their body. This is a guy that's uh, discriminated against trans people who join the military services. This is a guy that's got a policy that uh, basically bans Muslims from certain countries to come to the USA. This is a guy that separates parents from their children on the Mexican border. This is a guy that thinks Mexico, all Mexicans are uh, rapists. This is a guy who doesn't respect women and talks in a denigrating way about uh, women. So you're damn right going to call him out. <coughs> so your, your, your predecessor is now the Prime Minister. Has he ever spoken to you about his time at Mayor of London? Is it a weird thing where they leave a bottle of champagne like Prime Ministers do? Well, no. Uh, <laughs> although, to be, fair, the, 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 to, be, to be fair to Boris Johnson, uh, when I was elected Mayor, we did have a good chat, and, and, and you know, he did give me um, some private advice, which, which I'll keep private. Um, but but um, he's an odd bloke, isn't he? I mean, he's just, he's, <laughs> but, but and, you know, and, and so the, 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 I have to accept, as a Londoner, that in 2012, during the Olympics, uh, he, had a, he had an integral part in London being seen in a positive light around the world. And I think even if you're Boris Johnson's harshest critic, you've got to, you've got to recognise that, he, you know, that, was, that, was, that was very impressive. But on the other hand, <laughs> you've got things like the Garden Bridge, uh, spending £4 million on, a, on an Olympic stadium, giving West Ham the deal of the century in relation to the uh, stadium, in relation to uh, you know, some of his record in relation to the fire service, in relation to a whole host of things he did when he was mayor. And then you've got to square that with the sort of chap we've probably met who's, you know, cheeky, you know, quite friendly, but some of the stuff he's written and said. And, you know, the, the, the best empirical evidence I can give you why language matters, and we talked about normalising uh, hate, is there is no empirical evidence that when Boris Johnson wrote his article which uh, equated the clothes that women choose to wear with bank robbers and letterboxes uh, Islamophobic crimes went up by a huge amount. And so that's why, you know, of course it'd be nice to have some bounce with Boris Johnson, right? But, but the serious part of my job and being a human being and being a minority and having empathy with others is, hold on a sec, you can't have this sort of, you can't allow yourself to be charmed by the charm of Boris Johnson because he is charming. And actually what you've got to realise is um, you know, he now is the most powerful man in our country, and you hope that he will be a better prime minister now that he's got a decent majority than the evidence would suggest otherwise. And I think so. Yeah, sure, we can have a, we can have a joke about it, but it's, it's quite serious in relation to some of the things he's said and done. You know, and when he says get Brexit done, is he explaining to the British public that even if we leave the EU on the 31st of January, there is not just months but years of negotiation. Uh, and hard, hard work before we can get a deal, which means Brexit is actually done. And I think, and that's, that's just dishonest. I think there's one of the great sayings of another former, former Labour leader was, you know, one of the jobs of politicians is to be teachers, to inform and to educate, not to be comedians. And so, and that's why, you know, the private conversation was actually quite helpful, gave me good advice. Um, but I think... What was got... it? You turn off location settings on your phone. <laughs> 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 Good to settings. Uh, come on. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm not. I've, I've not benefited from one-to-one, uh, one-to-one tuition on how to use. Uh, 
But was it, was it good advice? Was it helped? It was. It was good advice, yeah. And was it practical? Was it, uh, <laughs> was it, was it general? It was good advice. <laughs> it sounds... Um, it's like a sort of gangster's code. There's a kind of... There's a handshake. <laughs> there's a murder, there's yeah. With, with, I say handshake because you might think, because of Ken Levinson, we have a different form of greeting, but it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a handshake. It's a handshake. <laughs> so it, since he's become Prime Minister, the Mayor of London, the Prime Minister, the two most powerful people in the country, really, do you have to work practically with him now? Yeah, so there's two things. Again, the serious point for a second. So, so uh, you know, David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson. By the way, if you, thought, if you, think, if you think Boris Johnson's odd, Theresa May, jeez. <laughs> I mean, so you've got to have a, you've got to have a, you've got to have a working relationship, particularly, you know, for, for example, if there's a, a, a terror attack or you know issues around Cobra and stuff. And and to give credit to um, Boris Johnson, Theresa May, and David Cameron, that side is very professional. You park all the political stuff, and you actually work really well together. And, and, and you know, and again, it's an example to other places around the world where they have knockabout stuff and play politics with security. We don't do that with with terrorism. Other stuff, it's, it's important to meet with the Prime Minister when it comes to uh, lobbying for things. I've not I, I actually met Boris Johnson since he's become Prime Minister. Uh, um, had a brief chat, but not a proper meeting. Uh, I did with Theresa May and with David Cameron. Uh, and those meetings are important. Similarly, I'd meet with the Chancellor and other parts of the government because you've got to put across London's case uh, and you meet regularly ministers in government in the Cabinet and stuff. And that, that's an important part of the job. And so you, on those occasions, you can have the knockabout stuff in the public domain, but then you've got to do business behind, behind closed doors. It's really important. But it's not a formal thing where the Prime Minister meets the Mayor of London, say, once a month? Mm. No, no, no. I mean, there's no formal arrangement like that, no. Uh, and just in terms of security issues, I mean, was there part of you that was relieved when Jeremy Corbyn lost? No, no, I think, I think, I think one, of, one of the things, on, again, on a serious note is, when you, get a, when you get a top job, uh, uh, whether it's Mayor of London or, or Prime Minister, I know you, you're surrounded by good advice. Uh, and you know, personally, as the Mayor for the last three and a half years, I think I've grown not just as a person, but as a politician and as a leader. Uh, and there's two things that happen when you become a leader. You grow and you shrink. Uh, and I think, uh, genuinely, had Jerry McCormick become Prime Minister, I would hope the good advice he would receive on security matters would mean that he'd grow as a leader and would be a prime minister who understands the importance of security. Um, that's a parallel universe. So, but yeah, we're not going to. We're not going to. But in terms of Labour and the conversation that's happening now, uh, some people in the party, like yourself, seem to have a very clear view that Labour was on the wrong course and that's why they lost. Others seem to be trying to spin the numbers, like Richard Burgeon does. That <laughs> actually, Sadiq, I thought we had a very good night. Um, <laughs> Sounds like it was about somewhere else. Um, but, but when you see Labour politicians like that on telly saying things like that, I, I mean, do you, do you feel that they devalue the movement? Well, look, there, is, there are five stages of grief. <laughs> uh, and the first one's denial. Uh, and you can't get to the other stages. I think, I think, I think the third one's opposition. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and look, we... And the reason why it's, the reason why it's so serious is because... You know, us losing the election is not about you know, Jeremy Corbyn losing his job as leader or, 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 or MPs losing their jobs or our staff. That's, that's heartbreaking as it is. Great MPs lost their job. Great candidates didn't win. Good staff lost their jobs. But I genuinely believe that we've let down those people who need a well-resourced, good NHS. We've let down those who need well-resourced and decent schools with small class sizes. We've let down those people who believe, actually, you've got to be tough on the causes of crime. 
the youth services, the youth work, as well as supporting our police. We've let down those countries around the world who benefit from us giving overseas aid. We've let down those who want us to, uh, you know, campaign to remain in the EU. And if we are, if we do have to leave, get a decent deal with the European Union. So, you know, for us, for, for any Labour politician or, or Labour activist or, or Labour supporter not to recognise the catastrophe of December the 12th, not, not only does it mean you're in denial, but you don't understand the responsibility that comes with being a Labour politician. And if you look at our constitution, what our constitution says is, and I'm paraphrasing, is to earn the trust of the people to govern. Clause one. To govern, right, to govern, right? And so whether you are, are a Labour activist that wants to stand for council, uh, or for the London Assembly, or to be the mayor, or to be a member of parliament, your mission is to win, because if you win, you can govern and transform people's lives for the better. And I don't see how you can move on and win unless you accept you lost. And by the way, as somebody who used to be a lawyer, the idea of me saying to a client when we'd lost, but don't worry, mate, we won the argument. <laughs> I mean, can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine, you know, uh, you know? <laughs> but if, but let's say, and it looks like it might be the case, that the Labour Party doesn't learn, doesn't take, <laughs> doesn't take the defeat and carries on on a particular path that the public are seeming to be saying they don't want anything to do with, do you fear for the future of the party as an entity? No. Well, the Labour Party will be around as long as there are decent people who believe in our values and to join our party and stuff. And you know, I had the pleasure, uh, it was a very sad uh, occasion, but to go to Frank Dobson's funeral uh, this mm. week. Great man, great man. Uh, and if you looked around the, the church, that church was full of really, really decent, wonderful Labour people, not just the Dobson family, but we had you know, four prime ministers there, leaders of our movement, activists, councillors, MPs, past and present. And, you know, if you ever, you know, the, the party will always be there. Uh, the key issue for me is how soon uh, we, we earn the trust of the British people to lend us their support to win the general election again. I think we can do it within five years. I think we can. I think we can win the next general election if the right lessons are learned. And, and what I'd say to somebody who's a, a Labour supporter, get involved, get on the pitch. Don't, don't be a commentator, right? Let others be, let others commentate. Participate. Join the movement. That means you've got a say in the selection. You can have a role in choosing who our next uh, uh, leader is, and it's really important you do so. And, you know, people say to me, and so there's this, this discussion about, you know, uh, well, you know, the only person that can win the contest is somebody on the left, right? When I, st and I, when I stood to be the Labour candidate for, mayoral, for, 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 for the mayor in 2015, um, there were candidates on the left, Diane Abbott, you know, other candidates, David Lammy on the right, Tessa, uh, uh, you know, um, rest, may she rest in peace, Gareth Thomas uh, and others. And I didn't whinge about, oh, there's all oh, these candidates on the left, the, the membership is quite left-wing, you know, all these candidates on the right. You win the contest, right? So you work out the rules of the game and you win the contest. So rather than doom and gloom saying, you know, it's necessarily going to be from the, from the extreme left who's not learned the lessons or, or whatever, get involved, join the movement, have a say what happens. Part of the narrative isn't just about left and right, but also about place. And there seems to be, at the moment, out there, 
a kind of reaction against the idea that the next Labour leader should be from anywhere near London. I mean, do you think, firstly, the Labour Party has a London issue, and I mean that in both ways, and do you think that London has a responsibility to the rest of England and the UK to be a particular way that isn't, you know, too powerful in the sure. London way? There's a number of responses to that. The first one is, bear in mind, you know, where Labour's losses were to the Tories. Where do we think the current Prime Minister is the MP4? Right. Uxbridge, which the last time I checked was still in London. Right. So it's not the case. And by the way, Theresa May and David Cameron weren't from the North West either. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, so that firstly, you don't, you know, the idea that Londoners can't win or Southerners can't win, park that. The second thing is, are we really going to, you know, say that we're going to choose our next leader who we want to win the next general election on the basis of which uh, constituency they represent or on the basis of their gender? Uh, or are we going to decide upon their analysis of the defeat, uh, why they think we lost, what is their path to victory, how they're going to unite not just our party, how they unite our country, how they're going to unite the north of the south? How are they going to unite those who vote to leave with those who vote to remain? How are they going to unite those entrepreneurs with those trade unionists? How are they going to unite those who are Jewish great people in London and around the country with those who, for some reason, think it's okay to be anti-Semitic or to accept anti-Semites in our party? And by the way, I tell you this, if anybody in the Labour Party is uh, anti-Semitic, they're a racist and they shouldn't be in our party. And I think the job of the... Uh, the job, the job of the next leader is not just to talk in those nice woolly words and platitudes, but actually to demonstrate that the Jewish community can trust him or her as well. So this idea about you've got to be an MP from this particular seat or, or whatever, I think, I think won't wash. And I think, by the way, you know, the Labour membership are, are far smarter than that, and they, and they should see through that. In terms of London's relationship to the rest of the country, regardless of party politics, do you think, well, look, if Scotland goes independent, Maybe London can have some extra powers or something. Or well, so 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 I, I, I've, uh, there's been I, I've <laughs> I've received lots of representations and uh, often sometimes I actually ask for the advice. Uh, often people just give me advice, uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, good to have that chat before Matt. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of the things I'm being uh, lobbied about is for me to uh, unilaterally unilaterally declare independence. Uh, <laughs> and uh, sort of UDI. <laughs> Two points. I quite like the sound of El Presidente. <laughs> and uh, I was speaking to Pete, who's a SNP uh, member of parliament, and uh, one of the things we could do is uh, build a flyover from London to Scotland <laughs> and just exclude... But no, no, I'm only joking. That was one of Boris's ideas, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> Is that what the advice was? Yeah, uh... Build a bloody bridge. <laughs> 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 I read something about you recently that I didn't know. Um, that you tried a bit of stand-up comedy. I was pretty good, Mr Ford. <laughs> well, we have an audience. <laughs> there's only one way to find there's out. A good, there's, a good, there's a good one I... Well, I don't know you ask. Oh, he's not bad, by the way. Has anybody seen his show? Not this one. Has anybody seen Matt Ford's show? There's four people there. <laughs> Mr. Ford, Miss Ford. Anyway. Uh, so, so look, so, so I went to Frank's funeral this weekend. Uh, his, his son, Tom, he's got, he's got three children, uh, uh, Joe, Sally, and Tom. Tom told a great story. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a true story, which is Frank Dobson, uh, the MP before Frank, was a, a, a woman called uh, Lena Yeager. 
and she was campaigning. By the way, think about Frank is, he would tell the same joke 7,000 times. So I've heard this joke at least 20 times from Frank Dobson. What's wrong with that, mate? Uh, uh, <laughs> Back and, here in May. And so, uh, and so, uh, so, so Lena was campaigning in, in a tower block and uh, she knocked on somebody's door and the woman answered the door and uh, it was during the, 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 the 50s or 60s and uh, Lena was talking to the voter about the concern the Labour Party had about the Germans rearming. Big concern during the time. And the resident said, uh, that's interesting, did you come up to my flat using the lift? And she said, I did. Did you smell what was in the lift? She goes, yeah, I did. She goes, that's piss. <laughs> and she said, she goes, oh, right. She says, what are you going to do about the piss in the lift? <laughs> and uh, Lena said, well, look, I'm not really sure that's what MPs do. Uh, and the woman said, if you can't sort out the piss in the lift, what makes you think I think you can sort out German rearmament? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> By the way, that is funny, but relevant to the Labour Party in 2019. <laughs> uh, well, she should have said, when asked what you can do about the piss in the lift, say, I'm going to stop pissing in the lift. <laughs> it's called no, but, but, but Matt, for those who haven't seen his show, he's pretty good. I saw you in Edinburgh, and That's you right, were yeah. great. But the funny thing was, I was, I was there... <laughs> The show was all right, but, uh, but I, I, try, I was trying to squeeze in a lot. And so after your show, I went to Frank Skinner's. He was really funny. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. So I got to, I got to, I got to, I got because in between shows, what I like to do is let you know I'm coming and stuff, right? Uh, stop you roasting me. But, but so I got, I get to Frank's show and I'm a bit late and I go in. Do you know Frank Skinner? Oh, God, yeah, he's a good friend of mine, yeah. 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 So uh, I get to, get to his show and I'm, I'm up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about, I'm about seven minutes late, and so, but it's not started yet. I think, great. So I go in, sit down, Sardis with my wife, we sit down, but it's like, great, it's not started yet. Frank's going to come on, and he goes, hello, Edinburgh, and they go berserk. A bit like you did, but there was a lot better response when he says it. Hello, <laughs> Edinburgh, he goes, yeah. <laughs> and they go, yeah. And Frank's going to go, we have with us tonight the mayor of London. They go, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, uh, I'm sorry we're 10 minutes late. Silence. It's because of the Mayor of London. <laughs> Silence. We couldn't find a booster seat for him. <laughs> and, then he and then he spent an hour roasting me. <laughs> can I say, when I, when I did a bit of stand-up, I never roasted anybody. Do you, do you, you don't roast oh, people. Oh, no, no, I'm one of those friendly comedians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah you, you did a couple of people who went to the loo. You gave them a hard time. Oh, but you never know whether they need a piss or they hate the Jews. <laughs> so you have to be on that straight away. Unless <laughs> it encourages more people in either direction, which, you know, bad. But, uh, I, I mean, being roasted by Frank Skinner is pretty tough. He's one of the best comedians. He's good, but he's good, though. He, but he does, it, he does it with class, Matt. I mean, come on. <laughs> what did he say? Uh, I've got Sadiq Khan here. He's a bit late. <laughs> 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 I mean, earlier when you said as a politician you either shrink or you grow, I thought, well, you've got a lot more to gather. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do that joke at the time because I was being too polite. Um, I, I should say, uh, uh, and not just because we're getting on so well, but I... <laughs> do you see politicians on telly give off a certain aura? I 
I've for so long thought this. When you're on telly, you look so good, I can almost smell the aftershave. <laughs> now, I would say, and I don't know if I'm right, Davidoff cool water. <laughs> D&G one. Ooh, lovely. Very modern. Um, again, this, this may sound like an odd question, but you always look immaculate on telly. I mean, Bond-level <laughs> British charm. Um, it, how often do you get your hair cut? So I get my hair cut every three weeks by the same chap who's been cutting it for the last uh, 25 years, a guy called Paul. Because it's, you always look fantastic on telly, and not every politician takes that care. I mean... <laughs> but do you, do you shave every morning? <laughs> Except weekends, yeah. <laughs> But do you, do, I mean, I guess, I don't know where this is actually going. going. <laughs> it was more that there are very few politicians who look as cool as you, and is that something That's you're very aware kind. of? I mean, when we met in Edinburgh, I should say, we met backstage, and you look great in a suit, but you look great in a Harrington jacket. You've got a kind of slightly mod thing going on, a bit of attitude. I was like, this guy's got like three or four different looks. Well, look, there's, but my, my claim to fame is in 2016, David Baddiel was having a shot. Uh, uh, he's quite funny as well, actually. <laughs> also very funny. And uh, I was in GQ's uh, top 50 best-dressed men in the UK. I was 47, mind you. <laughs> I'll take that. Uh, I mean, that's a half compliment, isn't it? Yeah. I was head of tiny temper. No. But you changed your hair, didn't you? You used to have a bushier hair and you sort of go... Crikey, is my procession team listening to this? No, but... <laughs> because one of the things that drives me mad, and I always think it's slightly the Corbyn thing, it's also the Boris thing, is I think politicians should look presentable. I think you should. It's an important job. You should present you know, yourself well. It's a, it's a really interesting, interesting discussion about Matt stalking me and being a <laughs> bit weird. Um, but, but I think we should... Uh, look, my, my, you know, I don't talk about this much, but my dad was a bus driver. <laughs> There's an exclusive there, Matt. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Uh, but, uh, and so we, we, we haven't worked in lots of background, but to our f to, the way we were raised is, you know, whether you're going to work or whether you're doing a job, you should dress smart. My dad would, would you know, wear a suit uh, you know, on a Sundays or take him to the museums and stuff. It really was. But, but the thing, you want your MP or your councillor to be somebody you can you know, look up to. I don't mean, I'm five foot six. So. <laughs> But you know, so you know, and, and it can represent you and represent your interests. So, you know, so you know, I've never canvassed in jeans. It's a small point, even when I was a councillor or an MP. I just think it's really important to be presentable to people who you're asking to lend you their vote. It, it does matter. Uh, and so, you know, and so you know, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I make an sure. e I make an effort now. Yeah, well, you, you've got you've got sort of natural resources to work with. Haven't you? You're quite a naturally handsome guy. <laughs> So I think as far as, as far as politicians go, definitely. Like. That's very kind, darling. I mean, there are... <laughs> and, uh, this, uh, that did go further than I expected. <laughs> by discussion. Um, we've got time for a couple of quick questions from the audience. So let's have the house lights up. We've got a couple of roving mics. Indicate really clearly, and uh, we'll get a, a microphone uh, over to you. Uh, OK, um, you've said that there's a climate emergency, and it was in the news just this morning that... 
problems with health. Why don't you <coughs> do something bold? Why don't you do something like ban non-electric vehicles in one okay. of our non-electric vehicles in Okay, the question about air quality, and by the way, can I make a joke before I get to the serious point, which is throughout, throughout Frank Skinner's show, serious point, he coughed the whole way through, complaining about the air quality in London. Uh, <laughs> and we were in Edinburgh. <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the serious point is, um, you're right, we face a climate emergency. We have a health crisis caused by the poor quality air. So every year in London, there are thousands of premature deaths directly attributable to the poor quality air. Uh, there are many adults, including me, who suffer uh, poor health because of the bad quality air, from asthma to dementia to heart disease to cancer. And there are children with permanently stunted lungs because of the poor quality air. That's one of the reasons why I've introduced, I've introduced the world's first ultra-low emission zone this April, the world's first. And what it's led to already in a few months is a reduction in nitrogen dioxide, a reduction in carbon emissions, and also a reduction in particulate matters. We also have stopped buying uh, double-decker diesel buses. We now have the largest number of electric double-decker buses in the world, uh, and the, a, a large number of single-decker buses as well. And I could go on in relation to the progress we're making, rapid charging points, or our tax electric, um, uh, no more diesel taxes being allowed. I'm not allowed by law to ban certain types of uh, vehicle, but what some cities have done is say, in 2025 or 2030, will stop uh, diesel vehicles coming into central London. I'm not willing to wait to 2025 or 2030. I'm taking action uh, now. King's College have done some analysis on my policies uh, and uh, the policies of the previous uh, mayor. They've said, following the policies of the Conservatives, it would take 193 years to bring air within lawful limits. Following my policies, it will take six years. Good, clear, comprehensive answer. Uh, and time for one more question, if someone wants to clearly indicate, and then... Uh... Up, 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 Oh, up. yes. Oh, Chiefs, yes, right at the back. The yeah, cheap seats. The, the, the one who had two arms up. Yes, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a sister as well. That's a good question. Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, London waiting on, uh, sure, on, so the, on the pension and on, and on benefits and things? Sure. So there's a number of issues. One is increasing... This, I think you're, the point you're making, in a short way, is you want to, to lobby, lobby the government to increase the state pension, recognising that the cost of living in London is greater than the cost of living elsewhere. Yes. Right. Uh, And so I'm willing to go further than that. I'm lobbying the government to do even more than that. I want the government to uh, reverse the welfare benefit changes they've made that are causing not just older people, but children to be in poverty. So in London, we've got some boroughs which have Michelin-style restaurants, but record numbers of food banks. Uh, particularly at this time of Christmas, uh, we're doing a lot, a lot to address the issue of rough sleeping. So I'm lobbying the government on a whole host of issues <coughs> 
because you're right, it's a consequence of government policies that we're seeing more and more poverty and more and more inequality. And by the way, sir, the crux of your question, the solution, lies in Labour winning a general election. And so I will do what I can as the mayor. So, for example, since I've been mayor, the London living wage has gone up from £9 to £10.40, but also the number of employees paying the living wage has more than doubled. Not only City Hall, but we've had private, private employers now more than doubling those who pay the living wage. So we've got to improve uh, the salary of those who work in London. We've got to make London not just the best place to work, but also people who do the right thing, get a decent pay for a decent day's work. And I'll do my bet as mayor, but I tell you this, my life would be much easier, so would yours, if I had a Labour Prime Minister to work with. Well, Sadiq, uh, that's, uh, that brings us to the end of the first section. Ladies and gentlemen, before uh, we head to a break, we're going to welcome back the wonderful uh, MP4. We're going to play us uh, into the break. So give our MP4. But ladies and gentlemen, please, a huge, huge thank you to one of the best guests we've ever had here, the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's uh, second guest uh, is a very exciting one indeed. She's only been an MP uh, for three years, has already faced the electorate three times since 2016, uh, and is one of the rising stars of the Labour movement and someone who may be standing in the Labour deputy leadership contest that is about to unfold. Uh, she's an amateur boxer. She's a doctor. She's got. She's a quadruple threat, a quintuple threat. Please welcome one of the most exciting politicians in the country today, Rosanna Allen Khan. version from Love Actually. Well. <laughs> which is topical because you were the first person to do, when you, it got nearly two million views online. It did, yeah, that was quite funny. It only was meant to be a bit of a joke that we'd see where it went and it, it went well, particularly when a certain someone stole it. Someone did steal it. Before we say that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, they'll be back at the end of the show. Please give it up for MP4. <laughs> Thank you, fellas. <laughs> so you do this idea, you do, you do the Love Actually knock on someone's door with the cards yeah. uh, as an election video. A fortnight later, Boris Johnson nicks it and doesn't give you any credit. Well, I mean, he wouldn't, would he? Let's face it. But according to um, Conservative HQ, they had the idea three whole days before me, but held off because of the Labour MP's poor quality version as quoted by, by the people that they went to to help them produce it, who then kind of retaliated and said, we never said that. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, but all I know is that it gave me an extra million views and hopefully a few more votes, which is why I still have, I have a job and I'm sitting here, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, congratulations on your re-election. I mean, I imagine it, you can see how they'll have actually think other people might have had the idea or whatever. You know, it's a, it's a good idea for, for an election um, campaign video. In, in terms of that scene in Love Actually, though, that is a guy knocking on someone's door that he fancies, <laughs> who's in a relationship, and he's kind of trying to seduce Kira Knightley. I mean, yeah. how are the voters of Tooting meant to <laughs> interpret your version? Well, my version was that, given the political landscape, I was needing every vote I could get, was afraid of being jobless and not being able to represent my community anymore. And if you'd watched it carefully, you would have seen I was walking along the road and I spotted a Tory poster. And I thought, this Tory could be for turning. <laughs> Knocked on the door. At the, but you know what was really funny? Is it, was a, it was a pretty low quality production. We had someone from my team sitting in the bush collecting the cards. It was, it was hilarious. And then when we did the outtakes, there's the bit where he said, and here we are doing this fun bit. We've got Reese in the bush and he's like, I've been in, I've been in worse bushes. <laughs> so just, oh my God. That was quite fun, yeah. Was, Who we thought that would lead to Boris Johnson bit. getting involved? So. <laughs> <laughs> it's fate. Um, so you, you, you did this video, it goes viral. At one point I did say, for those of you who've seen it will know this, the guy has a Vote Conservative poster in his window. Yeah. You knock at his door and give him the cards, and then he, he, as you walk off, he then takes down the Conservative poster and puts up a Labour one. And, and it, just in terms of the logic, this guy already has... already yeah. has a Labour poster knocking about. Yeah, he was a swing voter! <laughs> but did you, afterwards, did you think, oh, I should have handed him that? Was that a continuity error? Well... He was a swing voter. He had that left over. I've had three elections in three years. There are probably a few, a few posters banging around with my name on it. He clearly went to his top drawer where men store everything, you know, old, old Nokia phones, extra keys from houses from ten years ago, and he pulled out my poster and stuck it up. That's like Michael McIntyre's man drawer routine. Yeah, I love it. Very different <laughs> if it had included a Rosanna Allen Khan poster. I wasn't around then, to be fair. I was driving a double, you know, I was, I was literally, at that point, I was driving a double buggy and, uh, and, and working shifts as a junior doctor in the hospital. So, yeah, if only Michael knew. So, if, as a, going from being a doctor to being a politician, mm. what, what is more brutal? Well, I'm still a doctor, actually. Um, actually. <laughs> um, you know what? They're, they're both brutal in different ways. I mean, people say to me, did you think it'd be like this? And I was like, I didn't have a clue how it would be because I didn't really think about it. I was just a tooting woman who wanted to throw a hat in the ring to, to really represent her community and the people that she cared about. And the by-election was so kind of quick and brutal and I never thought I'd win. In fact, my brother and I wrote down on a five-point plan in Nando's of what it'd have to take for me to win to actually become the MP. Decided it could never happen, so I may as well go for it anyway. And here we are. But... Um, it, <laughs> to be honest, I didn't know what to expect, and it, it has been an absolute whirlwind. And I've put my family through the mill, I've put my friends through the mill, I've put myself through the mill. And being an A&E doctor, particularly in the current climate, it's awful. I go home sad. I can't do the job to the best of my ability because the resources aren't there. But I never, I never knew what it was like to be hated truly hated until I became a politician. And I wouldn't wish that feeling on anyone. So do you, you, you sort of split your time, so what, you, you turn up at A&E for having been in Parliament all day, so I've, sorry, the waiting time's gone, there was a three-line whip. Let's, <laughs> let's have a look at some bloke who's got a cut head. I mean, how, how do you sort of... 
do both at the same time. Well, I walk in, I swish my hair, and I say, I'm here! No, I don't. No, no, no. I wait, I wait until I get a list of shifts sent through, like everybody does, and they say, who can cover these? And I say, me, or I ignore it for a little while because of Brexit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I do shifts when I can. I don't do as many as I'd like to do now. I do really miss it. For me, there's something about, it's four o'clock in the morning, that camaraderie with your friends, you're hiding in a cupboard, drinking your tea out of a polystyrene cup, no airs, no graces. You're just serving people. And that's, that's who I am. That's what I love. And those messages, though, the things that I see on the front line give me a credibility when I go in and fight for people. So when I fight, I fight from my belly and I draw on the real experiences that I see. So I, I love it. It's, it's who I am. I, I'm a woman who happens to be a politician. I'm not a politician who dabbles in being a doctor. You mentioned an important point about Sir. Thank you. That's, I shouldn't have talked over that applause, sorry. Uh, that's, that's all right, hopefully there'll be others. I'm sure there's more on the way, yeah. <laughs> um, it, the, uh, you mentioned a very good point about you and your brother um, you know, planning your manifesto. The most important thing was that you did it in Nando's. Nando's. So, what is your Nando's order? All right, do you want to know? Yeah. Right, so I don't like when they change the menu and added in to the, to the chicken pitta, they added in the sambalash tomatoes and yes. the lit lettuce. Right. I didn't know oh what to God. do with that. Oh I didn't know I what to do with that information. I cannot believe... Right, so firstly, I always have... I have, a, I have, chick, I have double chicken pitta. Well, you're, just, a, you're just hard. Yeah. Um, but the, so the salad, and people will know this, the salad they put in that pitta yeah. used to have coriander yes, in it. Yes, it did. It had flavour. carrots. It had flavour. There was something going on in there that was, was special. Lovely. It was special. And now it's a sambalash tomato... And a cucumber with the middle chopped out. <laughs> Substein a cucumber. It's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, yeah. And Just and with the sauce. do you do cheese and pineapple? No. What? No, God no. Is that? But that's the thing. I sometimes add avocado if I've had a good month. <laughs> it's not brunch, love. It's not. Brunch. <laughs> it's not brunch. It's Nando's. No, I, okay. I'm I'm a traditionalist. <laughs> <laughs> In Nando's. Nando. <laughs> yeah, in Nando's. Chicken pitta. Yes. I used to be lemon and herb, but that's just a bit naff. Yes. So I go medium now. Okay. Right? I don't, I don't go hot because I don't want too long on the toilet. So <laughs> I go medium, medium. That's the only reason I do it. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to think these things through. It depends where you're going after Nando's. Are you going home or are you going on a night out? Yeah. So I go medium, chicken pitta, <laughs> cheese and pineapple. I... I also have peri chips and coleslaw. Um, I, I, I often think I'm going to go in there, I'm going to order a salad, I'm going to do it. Today is my healthy day in Nando's. And then I get there and I thought, it's, I can't, it's not Nando's about peri chips. And then I get the mayo and dip it in. Yes, the perinase. Perinase. Ooh. So I go double chicken pitta, mm. hot sauce, yeah. garlic sauce on the side. Oh! And I have macho peas with sweet potato mash and I'll lash. And then, but okay, if I'm hungover, I'll have peri fries instead of sweet potato mash. Sweet potato mash, what is up with you? It feels it's Nando's! Like, it's Nando's! But it feels like the health that it feels like if I'm double chicken. You, you make potato. yourself feel better, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I quite like. I quite like it. Quite good like then! The, the good! Texture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the peri fries is kind of like one of the big. Yes. Do you ever get it delivered to Parliament? No. <laughs> get wouldn't, get, wouldn't get through security and it'd be really cold. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Um, so. Oh, Nando's is rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> but what do you think a Nando's order says about someone? What does someone who used to be lemon and herb 
but now it's gone medium. Does that suggest that you're um, drifting right? <laughs> I think it would, would suggest that I'm someone who likes medium spicy chicken. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And carbs. Yes, I, I, I mean, I will move on from this in a sec, but... but <laughs> I love when this is going, come on the show, I won't make it hard. <laughs> how often would you have a Nando's? Um, recently, during the election period, it was probably every other day. That's great. Because I could tell myself I was feeling better about it because I was burning it off talking and running, um, and it was conveniently placed right in the heart of Tooting and Ballum. So it didn't matter where I was canvassing, I could end up in Nando's. Perfect. So it was kind of alternate Nando's curry, Nando's curry, shall I think about a salad? No. <laughs> Nando's curry. That is basically my life. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the thinking about the salad bit. Yeah. Um. But like not, not in an election period. We're probably talking, oh, lost an earring. Nice. Once every couple of weeks. Because uh, uh, the reason I sort of go down, uh, not just because I really do like talking about Nando's, is uh, obviously restaurants have a, a special place in Labour history. There was the Lock Fine deal between Gordon Brown and John Prescott. Oh. There was the Granita deal yeah. between Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. In your career trajectory, do you think, on the way to Downing Street, will there be a Nando's deal? <laughs> and Ooh. who will be the politician you're doing a deal with? Well, I love the fact that you're suggesting a trajectory to Downing Street. Um, but, ooh, I think there'd be... Oh, this is a toughie. God, yeah, this is a complicated one. I think Lisa they'd have to... Nando. Sorry? Lisa Nando. Lisa Nando. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. 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 That For is... For a second, I thought that was my subconscious just... <laughs> particularly good. Idea. Oh, no, he said it. No, I think, I think there'd have to be some kind of pizza Nando relationship. Because Downing Street doesn't have a lot of curry places that are authentic anywhere near it. So, in terms of uh, you know, what's happening with Labour now, yeah. which is bad, um, obviously you got elected, so that was you know, a personal Yay. achievement, that must make you feel very good. Yeah. It must be so difficult, though, coming into a parliament where someone you really disagree with, in Boris Johnson, not just domestically, but in terms of Brexit, has this huge majority um, and is shaping the country in his image. Um, I mean, how... How bad do you think it is for Labour at this stage? It's, it's horrific, actually, because... On a scale from on election, lemon and herb yeah. to extra hot, <laughs> how bad was it? I think we need to be under no illusion. It's been catastrophic for Labour. But I'll tell you the most heartbreaking thing, if I'm honest. It was going to my count, worried about how it would be, but getting messages from friends going, I think I'm gone, Rosanna. I think I'm gone, I'm here and I'm gone. And you're like, please no, please no. These are incredible people. And even as I talk about it, how I have the chills. Like, incredible people who go in to bat for their communities, tooth and nail, going, Rosanna, I'm gone, this is me done. Message after message after message. And you're waiting to find out what's happening to you. And then you can't even be pleased that, that you've won. Like, you're pleased for your community that they've got you returned to fight for them. But you know that up and down the country, incredible people have just lost their jobs. And then to come into Parliament, I mean, we have to sit there and look at 
an odious prime minister for a long period of time who, and, and they will be gloating about their win, but we lost, we lost catastrophically and we have to address why we did and be really honest and have some really honest conversations and listen, listen to people because we failed a lot of people as well. Um, so on Monday night at the PLP, it was a tempestuous, <laughs> honest, frank exchange of views between Jeremy Corbyn and various Labour MPs. Um, were you there? I was. I, I tried to smuggle in popcorn, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> um, so, what sort of popcorn, by the way? So, um, <laughs> sweet and salt, salt. Uh, so, okay, here's the thing, right? So, I can't do sweet and salty mix. It just messes with everything. Right? I can't do it. Can't do it. Um, okay. What does that mean? You don't like. That's diversity? not a euphemism for anything else. <laughs> He says to the half Polish, half Pakistani woman on his stage. Um, <laughs> I'm all about that, but when it comes to popcorn, so I like sweet popcorn, but then there has to be a special place for butterkist. Yes. In my heart. And and so for the, so for the PLP on Monday night, so sweet and, sweet and salt's the worst, then sweet and butterkist is god tier. Um, what for for, for what you, you saw unfold on Monday night? What sort of popcorn level was it at? It was literally like. <laughs> it was like that. And to you? In terms of speed of <laughs> ingesting it. And in terms of being a relatively new MP, yeah. in that room, when you're in that committee room that they have it in, do you, is there like a hierarchy in there? And is it, is it related to who's on the front bench, who's the chair of the select committee, who's been around longer? Like, no. do the new kids have to sit in a particular part of the room? No, so, so the leader and the chair and the shadow cabinet all sit at one end. Yeah. Um, and the shadow cabinet and front benches aren't meant to make interventions, so they stay quiet, conveniently. And um, everybody else, everybody else uh, is present, and you basically put your hand up or put your name down to speak beforehand and potentially get called or not. I guess the question is, were you, were you present <laughs> and involved? <laughs> So what was really interesting is notes were being taken as to who said what and who clapped when. <laughs> so it was quite interesting. So who was um, taking the notes? Well, senior Labour people were taking notes. Uh, loyal to the leadership? Yes. <laughs> so naming no names, but obviously Seamus Mills there with his <laughs> head in his hand. And are they, are they looking at you while they're or, or looking at the people that are doing there were, it? There were, the, there were notes being taken about interventions being made. I'm sure it was for reflective practice. <laughs> And then there were, there were some new MPs making very positive interventions that were contradictory to very upset MPs who were expressing slightly more negative feedback. And, and notes are being taken. And so you didn't know if you were allowed to clap then or should you clap then or does that mean, you know, what does that mean? And yeah, it was just very interesting. But I, I, I went and sat close to colleagues that I knew had something to say and I wanted to be there to support them. So was the mood... Uh, sort of electric? Was it rebellious? Was it rowdy? Was there sort of two sides or was it just periodic smatterings of applause? <laughs> there was a lot of upset people. There were, there were many upset people, many people who were deeply upset about losing colleagues, the like of which I spoke about, yeah. and were sort of on their behalf saying, why has no one contacted them yet? What are we going to learn from this? There is nothing to celebrate we need to do X, Y, Z in order to rebuild. There was a lot of that and, and a lot of finger pointing and, 
and commentating about the leadership and what went wrong. And one of the reports I, I read was that, uh, I can't remember who it was now, but I think it might have been Ian Lavery or someone like that, basically got laughed at for suggesting that there should be a period of reflection. I can't curse in my brain that I can remember Nando's orders, but not <laughs> important political details. But was it Burgeon or Lavery, I think, said something slightly ridiculous? I don't think... It's hard to narrow it I don't, I, don't, I don't think Richard Burgeon spoke... I, I think there generally was a little bit of um, exasperation at the, um, at the level of accountability coming from one end of the room. That's yeah. basically what I remember from the two hours. And when, so when Jeremy Corbyn sat there and people were saying, look, we've lost these God, good colleagues, um, we're worse off than we were before, you know, this historic defeat, does he smile? Does he speak? How does he take it? No, he looked upset and he listened. He did, to be, to, to be fair. Um, so, I mean, really what happens is he makes an address, then everybody makes their interventions, and then he responds at the end of all of the interventions. And was his response adequate, do you think? I think it... <laughs> pregnant pauses, that's no sign. Um, I think, I think um, he had a lot that he needed to address, and I don't think at that point anything he would have really said would have met with much satisfaction from the majority of the room. So Labour is at a, a crossroads yet again now. You've been touted as a potential deputy leadership candidate. Well, if you believe Twitter yesterday, apparently, yes. <laughs> well, I did believe Twitter yesterday. <laughs> Someone tweeted. And, uh, yeah. But is it something you're thinking about? Well, look, I'm, I'm actually flattered that somebody even mentioned me um, for such a role. And, you know, Sadiq Khan was my predecessor, and he says his mum said I'm the best MP that they've ever had in tooting. So that, that would be one vote. <laughs> that would be one vote. But... If I'm really honest, I'm not, I'm not a career politician. And I'm a girl from Tooting who was told wouldn't amount to anything because I was poor, from a single parent background, non-white, and, and that going to medical school wasn't something for girls like me and I should know my place, really, and understand where that was. And it was the Labour Party and the change in reform that made it possible for that Tooting girl to go to Cambridge and read medicine. And so that is the party that I love. That is the party that I want to rebuild again. And do I think I could be part of that process? I'd love to be part of that process. Of course I would. Um, but as anybody can tell you that's ever run in any kind of uh, contest like that, it, it, it comes, um, it, well, it's a very serious decision to take. And I'm in the process of taking that decision. I have two young children and a family and, you know, but if I could play some part in rebuilding the party that I love so that other people like me can benefit in the way that I have. And, well, yeah, yes. So, campaign launches tomorrow. Who? <laughs> who's your ideal running mate in terms of a leader? Oh. Well, do you know, no one's, no, not really anyone has formally declared yet, so I don't even know all of the, the options. Emily Thornberry might have thorn, uh, officially declared. Today, was it? I think so, this afternoon. Oh, OK. In between swearing on Sky News. I think she was, <laughs> she had a couple of lines of ambition out. Um, yeah. Do not make shit up about her. <laughs> She's made shit up about me. Don't chat shit about me. <laughs> 
Jamie Vardy. <laughs> Chat shit, get bangs. <laughs> so yes, Emily Thornberry is officially in the race. Um, okay. Okay, so yes, you're right, you need other people to declare. Uh, <laughs> um, I'd say that's a joke. Look, um, what I do know is our party needs to radically evaluate what went wrong. Look, I'm, I'm a doctor, so I look at things in, in, in very medical terms, right? Yes. If a patient comes to you and there's a problem, you have to examine them, you have to investigate before you diagnose where you're going. And there has to be a period of really, really looking at what went wrong and what we need to do to improve. So I'll be looking for a leader who shows an acknowledgement of what went wrong and has a credible plan for moving forward. Because at the end of the day, we don't just want to win back the seats we lost, which are many, not few. We... <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we, we have to go into places that we've lost completely that are really important to us, like Scotland, Wales. They have to be as important as anywhere else. And, you know, we've really let a lot of people down. So if Labour is a patient and it comes into a &E yeah. and says... I, I, right I'm now it's a big well, headache. Well, OK. But the first thing they say is, I actually don't think I am ill. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's telling me I am, so yeah. <laughs> could you just give me the once-over? <laughs> how, how bad a physical state would the Labour Party as a patient be? Probably be requiring a full-body CT scan. OK, so possible brain transplant? <laughs> it would be a pioneering. <laughs> Probably easier than turning the Labour Party round from the point of that. But, I mean, would it, would, 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 you'd, need, you'd need a sort of uh, surgery, you think? Potentially. Um, transfusions. <laughs> Potentially. Some sort of. Um, I mean, I'd have to examine it thoroughly, the patient, and uh, yeah, no. But seriously, we 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 have to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. So in terms of blood type, you probably want some. Um, o negative. Uh, well, that, yeah, maybe some TB positive. People with a small section of the population. Not many people have that type. Well, I am, I am a trauma in A&E doctor. So I am the, the, you know, the woman to sort of pick apart the, the bleeding body and put it back together again. I mean, it's that in itself, even without the, the career in politics, that line of work is an incredible line of work to go into and master, not only to help people, but some of your personal expertise. I mean, the sights you must see yeah. must be, would, would make most people very squeamish. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm very used to it. And I went into that specialty wanting, wanting to do that specialty. And because I wanted to devote my, my career to, to humanitarian work, and I knew that that specialty could take me to do that, I also had a real commitment to my community and very, very interested in issues of knife crime and violent crime. So again, I knew that was really good for, for me to do. So I'm very used to it, but I think, the, I think keeping cool under pressure which is very important currently in the Labour Party, is something that serves me in good stead from that role and uh, crying quietly in the toilet and trying not to be seen. <laughs> so you, 
You mentioned humanitarian work. You do a lot of work abroad as a doctor. Yeah, loads, loads. So I finished medical school. I did a few years of specialisation and then um, took my skills abroad for a prolonged period of time, particularly focused on, on disaster responses. Um, so like war zones um, and natural disasters. So relevant as a transferable skill. Um, <laughs> particularly currently, you know. Yeah. But you must have had some phenomenal experiences doing that. Incredible experience. I mean, experiences that, that can make you very depressed. Again, it, a transferable skill. Yeah. <laughs> but, but also, like, a serious moment. Oh, God, okay. A serious moment. Give you the fire in your belly to want to fight for people. Because I, I learned very quickly that we don't value human life globally the same way that we do here. And for me, that was... Like when it came to being in Nando's and making the five-point plan and why am I do even doing this? Why am I even thinking about it? I have a baby and a one-and-a-half-year-old at home. Like, I'm a nutter. Um, I thought, well, why am I doing it? I'm doing it because I, these stories need to be told. And so, for me, the, the, the stories of human suffering that I've seen are incredible, but also I've seen the very best of humanity. Like one example being when I was in a refugee camp um, and I was sleeping in a hospital, and I was the only doctor that had chosen to sleep on site, and there were, there were you know, cockroaches and ants in my bed and everything, and I was fine, I didn't mind. But then a really poor person from the refugee camp came to me and said, you can't sleep like this, come and share the bed with my daughter. So I slept in the bed with his daughter for a month because they didn't want to see me sleeping with the cockroaches and the ants. I mean, that is humanity beyond anything we can understand. And um, things like that are incredible. And also, you also have some funny experiences. I mean. They do say that you're not really an aid worker unless you've got yourself a funky disease at some point. And um, I can report I am funky disease positive. Um, I was in Kenya and, uh, and, and living in the village with a family. And you're not supposed to avoid, you know, well, you're supposed to avoid the water, as everybody yeah. knows, pretty standard practice. So <laughs> I spent the first, first two days being excellent. I'm brushing my teeth with mineral water that I've bought in the city. I'm really good. I'm saying no thank you to the cups of tea. By the end of it, you realise you're just offending everyone. You may as well drink the water and hope for the best. <laughs> Except, um, yeah, bad move. So what happened was, at, towards the end of my trip, yeah. didn't start not to feel that well. And then when I got back to the base city where I was. I said, listen, I think I got a little, a little spot of a uh, little something going on, a little infection. They said, oh, you we think you probably have uh, amoeba, you know, life, some life parasites in there. So no, it's, it's not an option. That there are no life parasites in here. I'm just not quite well. They said, do a sample. So I'm in this clinic. Everybody's like waiting to like use the loo. I couldn't get off the loo for like four days. But then when I used to do a sample, I've got stage fright. I'm like, just a minute, coming. Fire. <laughs> Finally, did what I needed to do. Went to the lab. Is this enough? And um, and and, then, and then I went back down, sat in there, and the guy was so proud. He goes, "I knew it. I was right. You are full of them, live parasites and cysts." I was like, oh, "Well, congratulations. I don't know. I don't know what you want me to say. You know, your doctor of the year. You called it." And he goes, "Yes, it's, they're hiding in there." And I'm like, well, all right. So, yeah, so about a month of medication and got those bad boys out. But, yeah. <laughs> so what, what's the, what was the disease called? Ame so, amoebic dysentery. Yeah. <laughs> Don't Google it. It's not fun. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, not a fun well, time. No wonder you have a lemon and herb at Nando's. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. 
Honestly. Flashbacks. I'm telling you. Flashbacks. <laughs> I was so British in this clinic toilet, though. Sorry, everybody, I'm just coming. Won't be long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a way, it's good that you've got that out of your system now. A lot got out of the system there, yeah, yeah. Before you get to Downing Street. <laughs> With my Nando. The Prime Minister doing that. Oh, imagine, um, imagine. So just, I mean... Uh, I feel bad for constantly talking about the state the Labour Party's in, but it only happened the well, other day. Well, I'm a Labour politician. You're a Labour politician. Yeah, yeah, it happened yeah. the other day. You know, people, even people who voted Conservative want to see a strong Labour Party because people care about democracy. That guy doesn't have to see Most, some, the occasional person who voted Conservative want, you know, for a functioning democracy, we want our government to be held to account. Yeah, of course. Um, and we're talking in generalities. I mean, do you think the Labour Party explicitly needs to move Back to the centre ground, needs to be more patriotic, needs to be stronger on crime and defence and things like that. The Labour Party are, are a broad church and our front bench has to reflect that. And again, that's something that I'll be looking for from whoever is potentially looking to be leader. We have to acknowledge that there is a breadth of talent across the party and across the political spectrum within the Labour Party. It's essential. But do you think, just in terms of the political direction, do you think actually we need to not be as left-wing as we are? I think we moved very hard left, and that did us a, a disservice in the last election. And we had a manifesto, which was, which was really good in part, but nobody believed it was deliverable. And as a result, didn't vote for us. And on the doorstep, I mean, obviously you won, but on the doorstep, was the leadership coming up? Was Brexit coming up? Yeah, both yeah. in equal measure, where I am. I mean, I, 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 mean, I have a London seat, um, and <clears throat> I... I held a very local campaign that focused on what I knew my constituents wanted me to do. But I, as you know, I voted against triggering Article 50 because I'm not a career politician and I told people I would do what it takes to be your voice in Parliament. <laughs> and then it was tested like a week later. I'm like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? I'm sorry. Oh, of course. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I thought, oh, no. So, so I voted against triggering Article 50. And then I was the first Labour shadow frontbencher to come out publicly calling for a people's vote because I knew that that's what my community wanted me to do. And I believed it was the right thing. You know, I wouldn't do something if I didn't believe it was the right thing. And... Um, and so I had to really push home that message a lot um, during the election and, you know, make a video or two uh, to also put that across. And, um, but yes, the leadership came up. People said that they didn't have faith in the leadership. I've got to acknowledge that. So next time, you've done this Love Actually video to, to get your message across. What film do you do next time? Oh, I don't know. Any, any ideas? Any suggestions? Oh, Crikey, Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that we're going to get extinct, but I, I suppose... Uh, what was that? The Shining. The Shining. No, no, no joke, no word of a lie. In my constituency, there is an, an Art Deco building called Jacane Court, which looks like it comes straight out of The Shining. We could totally film The Shining perfect, in there. Perfect, perfect. Should we do it? It is really, the corridor's like, we, look, we found Labour activists from 2016 election in there, going <laughs> around, just trying to get out. Like Did we win? <laughs> like we're, we're here again, love. <laughs> oh, Matt, so you can, yeah, let's, so the sort of two weird twins could be the Miliband brothers. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs>
else could be in it? Who would, would you be Jack Nicholson or work in No Play makes Rosanna a dull girl? I, 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 I could never be dull, so that wouldn't work for me. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other characters in it. I can't think of... <laughs> yeah, John McDonald could use it. Here's Johnny McDonald. Um, so, uh, well, that's maybe next on The Shining. Yeah. Please do that. The Shining? Yeah. Okay. I think a horror one would be funnier for people. I mean, I'm not sure it'll help you get re-elected. <laughs> what ended the stratospheric rise of Rosetta Allen Khan? The Shining in Duquesne Court. Yeah, She's still there. Pouring a load of lamb's blood around an old <laughs> hotel. She went mad. Um, but <clears throat> I suppose there are two things at the moment uh, for, for Labour politicians. One is the, the immediate fate of the party and the direction of it. But then also there's the personal as well. I mean, politics are a volatile place. You're, you're a young and new MP, but does part of you think... You've got this ambition and drive, you've got the fire in your belly, you've got unique life experience that so few politicians will ever have. Thank you. Do you think, actually, the deputy leadership might be one step, but is there part of you that thinks being, not just leader of the Labour Party, but being Prime Minister is something you could do? I don't think that far ahead. I know that I want to be part of fixing the Labour Party from where we are now with energy, enthusiasm, whatever role that took, whether it whether it were to be in a position that meant I could have some influence, whether it be on the front bench, whether it be as a back bench, I just want to heal our party because I really genuinely care about the values. And, and when I was growing up, life was really, really tough. And I promised myself that if I ever made it out the other side, I wanted to devote my life to helping other people come through it as well. And those are Labour values for me. And it's the Labour Party that gave me my opportunities. And I need to do everything I can, in whatever capacity that is, to, to give other people that hope again. And maybe to look at me and say, gosh, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. Because she's just this regular girl from a you know, like single parent background, had a really tough life, failed her A-levels, went to Cambridge. Because of the Labour Party, maybe I can do it too. Um. It's an inspirational story. People, uh, Labour's never elected a, a female leader. Do you think it should this time? I think it needs to elect the right leader. It's got to be the right leader. You can't just elect people f for tokenism. I'm not saying that electing a female would, would be tokenistic per se, but we have to elect the person that is going to do the best job for the Labour Party, for the people that we serve, and for our country. But it's a part of you... I mean. I think it's insane that Labour Party's never had a female leader. As a woman in politics, there must be part of you that thinks it'd be nice if the next one was a woman. I just want to win elections. I want to win elections. I want to bring hope back to people who have lost all hope. I want, to, I want the children that are living in absolute poverty, relative poverty, don't have chances in life to have a chance. I want the 3,000 children in Wandsworth that are sleeping homeless on Christmas Day not to be sleeping homeless. I want the kids going to the food banks, people going to the food banks, not to be going there anymore. I don't care whether it's a man or a woman that can deliver that. It needs to be delivered. <laughs> um, you have a, a, a remarkable family backstory as well, not just your own personal life, but your mum... <laughs> was a Polish pop star. Yeah. <laughs> what sort of stuff did she sing? So she was in a Polish girl band that was the equivalent of the Spice Girls at the time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, trust me. But 
it meant she could say absolutely nothing to me when I was that teenage girl that wanted to go out in a short skirt. So I'm like, I've seen your photos, I've seen your videos, your skirts were, they're nothing to the imagination, you can say nothing to me, Mum, no. But she, it, was, it, was it, was, it was really good, because it was really weird, because as a child, going to Poland, people still recognise her and stuff, but she gave it all up for love. She gave it all up to move here to be with my dad. And that was the right decision? <laughs> well, she obviously says to me, Rosanna, I wouldn't change anything because it meant having you. And I go, all right, Mum, enough of the fluffy stuff. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, she, you'd have to ask her. Um, she's pretty cool. You'd, you'd like her on your show. But she, I mean, I don't believe she has any regrets. Um, <laughs> but did she, I don't know. So what era was it? What, was it 90s? 70s. 90s? Whoa. That makes me very young. Well, <laughs> in the seventies, yeah, seventies. She was in the seventies. Well, like the band, so the band had different people come and go. Yeah, um, like the Commodores. <laughs> and the uh, I think I think the band started in the late sixties, but she was in it in the seventies, and then she yeah moved to England in the mid seventies. And pop sort of ABBA type stuff. Um, it was some of the songs are hilarious. Um, it was just like whatever kind of yeah poppy stuff of that of that kind of generation in Polish. They were, they were really well known. I mean, it's quite funny when I meet any Polish person and name the band, they all, they all know her and she's in a book with a little photo. And, yeah. Well, I don't want to, uh, it, it, it seem divisive to ask the audience if there are any Polish people in. <laughs> but uh, but if, if, if we do have any Polish people in and then you name the band. Yeah, Filipinki. Any Polish people? Should have checked first. I'm here, I know it. Yes, there you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% uh, recognition. Yeah. So is that in your blood, do you think? That's, uh, not, that, not that being a politician is being a performer, but it involves being comfortable in front of audiences and things. I mean, do you think you get that from your mum in a way? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always actually really been into music and um, I've, I've, been in, I've done music before. And um, I think the key, though, in... <laughs> in feeling comfortable around people is just not to take yourself too seriously. You just have to be yourself and the rest will come. And getting over that feeling of, gosh, what if people don't like me? Once you realise that actually all you have to do is just try and like yourself, not take yourself too seriously. What's the worst thing that can go wrong? You know, you swear accidentally, you know, you, you make a weird bodily function noise, you know. That, what's the worst that can actually happen? And then you realise that it's not so bad and you just... At relax, and I think that's all you can ever really do. Ask of yourself. Do you think that is that is, that is just something that you have always had in your approach to life, or is this the new rule of the politician? Because when I was first started getting interested in politics, the opposite was kind of the rule was you don't do anything weird, you behave yourself, you cut your hair, you shave, you know, you, all that sort of thing was like new label was kind of like, you, in a way, sort of made people quite uniform. Uh, maybe unintentionally, but do you think it's, is that now a reaction? Do, do the public want people who are more open about who they are? I think the public crave an honesty. And they also know when people aren't authentic. <laughs> so I just think you have to own yourself and who you are. And the hardest thing, I think, as a new politician is accepting that people just aren't going to like you for a variety of reasons. And it's not something you've necessarily done or said. They're just not going to like you. And that has to be okay with you. Like, you try your best, but you just, you can't please everyone. Some people will, I mean, well, Toby Robinson and the gang hate the fact that I'm, you know, half Pakistani, half Polish. There are some people that really celebrate that. I'm really glad that Tooting celebrates it. But the most important thing is that 
I celebrate it and I don't apologise for who I am anymore because there is part of that. When you grow up in the 80s as a mixed-race family and everyone's staring, ooh, or asking your mum, oh, your kid's adopted? Because my mum is, like, super blonde Polish and, and her and my dad didn't stay together and, like, she raised us as, as a single mum. You know, so she had these two mixed-race kids who, in the summertime, went really, really brown and she was really, really blonde and it was a lot of awkward questions. And so you do then start to sort of think about who you are and then people like to put you in, in a box and you realise the boxes are just to suit them. And people are like, oh, you're half this. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm British, first and foremost. I am Polish and I am Pakistani and I'm really proud of all of those things. And that's the rich tapestry of the world we live in now. And that helps me feel comfortable in any kind of setting with people. But also people say, oh, I'm, if I'm English, I'm so boring. No, you're not. You're exotic in every other country other than England. You know? and, and it's just about owning who you are. And, and just accepting yourself, and that's what I say when I go and speak in schools, you know, you know politicians always have to go into schools, don't they, and be your best self, and I think it's just, you know, I, I love it when I go to a prize giving, and I see, I see, you know, like a girl wearing like a pink fur jacket, or something crazy, and I think, oh my gosh, she's 17 or 16, I hope that doesn't get knocked out of her, and I always make reference to the people in the audience who have done something a bit different or dressed a bit different or, or, you know, I always celebrate it and just say, just hold on to who you are because who you are has to be all right to you. And if someone doesn't like it, sod them. Oh, man. <laughs> so, um, I mean, at Christmas, do you know what I mean? I feel, I feel quite emotional oh, about it. Are you having a moment? But it's, but it's such a powerful... Such a power, you embody like a... The potential for for Britain to be in in that sort of the, the diversity of your background with your with your Britishness and that, but that new attitude of being yourself and expression, and it feels like younger generations maybe are slightly less uptight than the kind of British stereotype. What is a British stereotype anymore? We all have a cup of tea, don't we? We all have a cup of tea, yeah. whether you worship in a synagogue, whether you worship in a mosque, whether you don't worship anywhere, we all have a cup of tea. We all have a natter about the football. Us women love a little moan about men. We all love, well, we used to love EastEnders, not so much anymore. You know, we, we, all, we, we all, you know, we go to Nan, we do stuff like, that's all part of being British, isn't it? And, and there are people who like certain very traditional things about being British, and, but that's okay too, you know, if someone wants to smoke a pipe, wear a barber jacket and put their feet up in front of the fire, that's good too. If they like it, let them have it. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like, <laughs> I've always wanted to smoke a pipe. <laughs> I love the smell of pipe tobacco, but I also do love um, watching EastEnders and, and nattering about men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is a sign of progress in itself. Exactly. <laughs> no, but I honestly, I know I always say, and I really mean it, like, people need to be free to love who they want to love, be who they want to be, make their choices and own them and not be vilified for, for, for feeling how they want to feel and, and being accepted for exactly who they are. And the big message is that we're, we're so often made to pick ourselves apart. That, In A&E. Yep. <laughs> that the real lesson is if, if we start to like ourselves more and accept ourselves more, then there's really... A, a path to better cohesion because then you're very comfortable around anybody else. They're not threatening you because you know who you are, they know who they are, and you like each other. Um, you, I can't. You need to be Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like, I can't, you can't.
can't tell me you don't want it when you can talk. Like, oh my God. Like, this is more inspirational than anything I heard in that general election. Oh, that's nice. But it's true. It's true. Like, it's just a rem Not that we need reminding people in this room, but there are so many inspirational politicians out there who can emotionally connect with people. And for some reason, the parties aren't choosing those people to lead them. And that is immensely frustrating because partners with this immense reservoir of talent, including yourself. But how often do we hear you in a prominent position? Well, I'm here now, aren't I? That's a good point. <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean? Like the parties don't seem to accept that these are the politicians like yourself that we want. I don't know. I guess I haven't thought about that because I just don't, I don't think about it. I just, these are just my musings. I don't ever think about, does somebody else think they're good? Or these are just, This is just genuinely how I feel. So I don't think how I feel is special because it's me. I guess, well, I suppose what I'm getting at is, is our political parties ready to think like that? Do they think like that? Or, you know, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn didn't, they didn't speak to the public in the way that you've just spoken to us here. Do political parties want to reward those sorts of philosophies, do you think? I have to believe that they do. I have to believe that the Labour Party does. Otherwise, there's no hope. And I think sometimes people come from, from the best of places with the best of intentions and think they know how people think and feel. But actually, they do that without asking them. So they, they say, that, that person wants this and that person wants that. But they, they don't really know because they've not lived it. And they've not really asked the right people. And a little round table in some random place somewhere with 10 people sitting at it is not really getting into the nuts and bolts of, of communities. And I, I think that's where, that's where my skills as a doctor is, is really good because people come to an A&E and they tell you things they haven't told the people closest to them. Um, you have to, you know... It, in order to help some people, you really need them to, to tell you some of their darkest secrets or things that they're really not proud of. And in a, in a very non-judgmental way. And those skills need to be applied to politics. Whether that's me or someone else, those skills are really taking on board what people are saying. Uh, do you ever judge them? Pardon? Do you ever judge them if someone says, oh, I've got this because I did that? Do you ever think, fuck oh, Actually, no. <laughs> Actually, no, um, because none of us are without fault, are we? Come on. That's true. And it's not... A, it, we, none of us are perfect. None of us... We all make mistakes, and it's not about whether we make mistakes or not. It's whether we learn from them. And it's not about whether we fail. It's about how we pick ourselves back up again. So when someone comes and they honour you with that private bit of information, that's actually a real honour to get that bit of information from someone. You're like, oh my goodness, does your mum know? Does your wife know? You know, you, you just... Yeah. You keep slipping and falling on these things. <laughs> Believe me, I work in A&E. It's, uh, you know, and hunt the tampon is a real thing. What is? What is? What was that? Hunt the tampon. Hunt the tampon? Okay, I judge that a little bit, I do. <laughs> So that's. Um, it's a thing, sorry. Presumably not. So gross, sorry. I, mean, I can sort of guess what it is, but just we're not talking like an Easter egg hunt. No. Well, I suppose, look, look, you're not allowed to hunt foxes anymore, so. 
people are always going to find their own amusement. And yeah. if a tampon can follow an aniseed trail through Chipping Norton, uh, <laughs> what's wrong with a load of guys in red jackets chasing it? Um, tampons do not have feelings. I think that's important that we... Where the fuck is this guy? <laughs> um, we have uh, so engrossed. Um, we, we hinted at your musical heritage. Uh, we are now uh, about to fully experience it. Oh, um, God, no, not that fully. Well, let's see. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, before we close the show, please welcome back the wonderful MP4! <laughs> and joined by Rosanna Allen Khan. Singing. I'll go on bass. You know me, Mike. Um, what song is it? Oh, it's going to be Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Join in if you know the words, but listen out for Rosanna Allen Carl. No, not, in not too intently, not too intently. <laughs> There you go, Sadiq Khan and Rosanna Allen Khan. What a brilliant night. And MP4 were absolutely superb as well. And it was brilliant to see Pete, Kev and Greg uh, re-elected. Um, and just great to talk about the election with the four of them because obviously they've all got different varying political experiences with different parties, different corners of the UK. Um, and getting their analysis was fantastic. But just what a special night overall. Thank you to everyone who came. Um, tickets for next year's show are on I think it's sold out until September at the Other Palace. Um, so um, go on their website, otherpalace.co.uk. I've already added some extra dates to my tour next year. I'm doing a few nights at the Soho Theatre in London from the 20th to the 25th of January. Uh, the tour starts on the 14th of January at the Salford Lowry um, so get tickets for all those dates plus the political party dates at mattford.com slash live Merry Christmas uh, and thank you for all your emails tweets and messages for anyone who's ever got in touch um, to tell me about the show or whether you've come up to me in the street or at a gig or wherever it means the world when people love this podcast because it's the thing I'm most passionate about, um, apart from food. And it's, uh, it's just, it's brilliant that other people love it. So thank you uh, for listening to this. Tell everyone that you know. Please leave a review if you can. Have a great Christmas, a happy new year, and I'll see you in January. Ta-ra. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 